Hey everyone, welcome back for another episode of the Joy and Infertility Podcast. I'm your host, Kaylee Porter, and my hope is that you will join me on this road of finding joy even in infertility. Happy Tuesday, friends. I am so glad you decided to join me for another episode today. And what a better time to listen to the Joy in Infertility Podcast than during National Infertility Awareness Week. I'm so excited to share today's conversation with you because my guests and I actually are talking about two topics that we believe more awareness needs to be brought to and need to be talked about even more in the infertility space. Male factor infertility and embryo adoption. My guest today, Jenna, reached out to me a few weeks ago and shared her story, which actually this podcast played a part in that. If you remember back in episode 17, I interviewed my friend Mandy Morrison about how they gave their remaining embryos up for adoption and what that journey has been like for her. We'll fast forward some time and Jenna and her husband listened to that episode and a seed was planted. They went on to find out that her husband's body basically did not produce sperm and God brought them back to that seed he planted months earlier. Now they're about to start their transfer of their very first adopted embryo. God has such a uh, heart for um, redemption and that that is who he is. You know, that's Jesus in our lives redeeming us. And so embryo adoption is this redemption of these lives that were frozen at a vulnerable stage. And through this process, God is redeeming the life potential of those embryos, and He is giving them a chance to be all He created them to be. And on the other side of it, He's redeeming our infertility. You know, whatever the outcome of our story is, He is redeeming our infertility because He's using it and He's bringing good out of it. And that good may or may not be a baby. You know, I still don't know at this point, but there is good coming out of it regardless. And so he's redeeming it on both sides. And I just, that's what we love so much about embryo adoption. I'm so excited for you guys to hear from Jenna because not only is she, is her story just incredible, but she has so much wisdom to share with us. And as as I was talking to Jenna, I started to hear from you guys that you wanted to hear more stories about male factor infertility because so many of our husbands, including mine, have faced that or are facing that. And so a couple of weeks ago, you guys sent in some questions and Jenna was actually able to get the answers directly from her husband and pass them on to us. So I believe this is going to be super helpful, but I'm gonna warn you with such massive topics like male factor infertility and embryo adoption, we did not make the 30 to 40 minute goal here. We talked for a good hour, but I promise you, don't just don't skip it. Every single drop is good to the very last second. So here we go. Jenna, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad we could make this work in the middle of absolute craziness in our world right now. Wow, yeah, me too. So well, tell everybody before we, we have a lot to cover. You have a really, really awesome story. So I want to jump into that. But first, tell us a little bit about you, your life, your family, um, what season you're in and all of that. Yeah. So my name is Jenna and I'm 28 years old. I live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and um, I work at a Christian college, so I manage our online programs that we have, and I do a lot of of data analysis, and I work with our numbers and our budget and things like that, and I love it because my background is in math and education. So oh, it's like a nice combination. That sounds so riveting. <laughs> and you love it. I'm so glad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a really good combination of, you know, the math and education together. So I really enjoy what I do. And I love working at a Christian college as well. So 
that's nice. I bet you're swamped right now. Um, you know what? Actually, you would think that, but because I work in the online programs, we've sort of been doing this like, you know, as a normal oh. MO. So like nothing's really changed for us. Our traditional programs, certainly on campus, they are crazy busy. But like our online programs are just sort of trucking along as they have been. So y'all are business as usual. Yeah, okay. exactly. It's it's really strange. It's a strange position to be in. That is crazy. And what's your husband's name and how long have y'all been married? Yeah. So my husband's name is Brian. Um, we've been married almost seven years. And um, yeah, we have um a one and a half year old cat, Sir Pepperton. So that's my oh. little household. I've got to say, you are the first person I've ever talked to that has dated the age of their their pet, like a one and a half year old. I just thought you were about to say one and a half year old child. But oh. You're like, nope, it's a cat. <laughs> nope, yeah, that's how so, much I love my cat. You are a cat mom for sure. <laughs> yep. Did you did you do monthly pictures the first year as well? No, we did not go that crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, yeah. Okay. So speaking of moms and children and cats, um, what has been your story up until this point trying to grow your family? Yeah. So, you know, when we got married, we had a plan, you know, as, as many couples do. And so we sort of expected that we could come up with what we wanted when we wanted and that it would all just work out. Because honestly, to that point, most everything in our lives had gone the way that we expected it to. And so we were very fortunate in that. And so when we got married, the question was really never if we would have kids, but when we would have them. And so we sort of just said, okay, you know what, we'll wait five years. We'll, um, you know, give ourselves time to, to be selfish, you know, or to do whatever we want, you know, have that whole first few years of marriage. And then, um, when we sort of came up on that five-year mark, we were like, okay, we're, we're feeling ready. This would be good. Um, but we had a trip planned to England in the summer of 2018. And so as we came up on that trip, we, we were like, well, certainly we don't want to be pregnant for that trip. That would just, that would ruin it, you know? So we're going to wait till we come back from that. So when we came back from that trip, I stopped, uh, taking my birth control and I remember thinking, you know, at any point I could be pregnant. It was like this new uncharted territory, you know, where you take this tiny pill every day for so long and you, you're told that if you miss one pill, you could be pregnant, you know, so you take this and then you finally stop taking it and you're like, okay, I could be pregnant at any point. It's, it could happen. And, um, right. so exciting. yeah, exactly. It was, it was crazy. Like I remember that feeling so well. And then after a while, you know, we waited and we waited and nothing was happening. And when I say nothing, I mean like literally nothing. Like I was not getting a period and I, I knew that meant I was not ovulating and I knew that meant that I wasn't going to be able to get pregnant. Um, so I kind of started all the research and I was, you know, looking at all the different fertility blogs and reading textbooks researching different um, supplements and vitamins and acupuncture and just all of that. And I didn't really seek God much during that time um, because I just wanted to fix it. Um, I, I, as a problem solver, uh, I'm a fixer and I'm a planner. And so I saw this as a puzzle that I could solve if I just got the right pieces in the right place. And I just kind of prayed that God would heal me and that he would allow me to get pregnant, but I didn't really seek him or his plan in this purpose or sorry, in this time and what he was trying to show me during this season. Um, it was really just me fixing it. And so 
Um, it took a full six months to even get a confirmation from the doctor that I was not ovulating. I mean, like I knew that, but the doctor of course has to go through all of the proper protocol and procedures and, and that. And you had no period for that whole time? No period for that whole time. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was interesting um, and frustrating because, you know, as each month goes by, you just see constant pregnancy announcements on Instagram and you just walk out your door and you're just surrounded by pregnant women and babies all of a sudden. And every single TV show you're watching has a plot line for a pregnancy story. And like, it's just, you're surrounded by it. And my body would not even function properly. And so I just felt like I was losing so much time. Um, wow. Yeah. But eventually, I was able to get started on um, fertility, ovulation, uh, induction medication. And so my doctor put me on Letrozole, which is a generic brand of Femera. And I went on that, and she said she would give me six months of that. And if I wasn't pregnant at the end of six months, uh, she would refer me to a fertility specialist. And so um, I kind of just... I don't know how to explain it, but I just sort of knew I wasn't going to be pregnant at the end of six months. And I don't know why I felt that way. I honestly look back and I think it was God preparing my heart, but I just, I had this like feeling that it wasn't, it wasn't going to happen. And sure enough, six months came and went. So, you know, each month the, the fertility medication worked great. I was ovulating and it was fine, but uh, we just weren't getting pregnant. So it was just months of doing the ovulation predictor kits and m monitoring my basal body temperature, the vitamins, the acupuncture, just all of it. And then every single month, I would have to call my doctor and say that I needed the next month of the prescription because I had just started my period. And so, you know, that went on for half a year. Um, mm. And then after that point, we were referred to the uh, infertility specialist. And so, we had our first appointment there in August of 2019, and we did all the normal stuff, you know, the blood work, the hormone levels. I had the HSG done, and honestly, all of that stuff came back fine. Um, my only hormone that was off a little bit was uh, my AMH, which is the anti-mullerian hormone, and I know, you know, you may know that if that hormone's low, it may be indicative of diminished ovarian reserve, but for me, that hormone was really high, and that was indicative of polycystic ovarian syndrome, which made sense because I wasn't ovulating. Yeah. <laughs> right. So that was it though. That was the only thing that was off in my situation. Um, and at that point it was when Brian finally was, you know, having the, the semen analysis done. So, you know, after over a year at this point of testing for only me, medication prescribed only to me, <laughs> Um, no one mentioning that we might want to have a semen analysis done, you know, honestly, which is crazy. That should be like, Hey, step number one, I know <laughs> for both of you, you get started. Exactly. It, I don't, I really don't get it, but you know, it was 14 months of me. And so at that point we thought like, Oh, well, this is just a formality then, you know, it's just part of the, part of the workup. So he had that done. And then in September of 2019, we actually found out that he likely has a genetic mutation where he just doesn't really produce sperm. And it's probably like a Y chromosome micro deletion. Like that's our best guess. We haven't had the genetic testing. Um, but based on what we know, that's, that's probably what it is. And you know, it, that's, <laughs> that is what it is. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, so man. that's what we found out at that time. So what did you guys, what was plan, you know, number one when you, when you found that out? 
So honestly, like I remember, <laughs> I remember being in that room when we had the diagnosis. Um, and I'm I'll always remember it because it's one of those moments that you just want so badly to be a nightmare <laughs> and it's not. And you just feel this weight land squarely on your chest and you know that nothing will ever be the same when you leave that room and nothing will look like yeah. what you thought it did. Because were they giving you any hope of like, there's a chance no. of anything? No, absolutely Okay, not. so it was like 0%, he has nothing. Yes. he. So when we talk about like low sperm count, you know, like 10 million is a low number, 8 million is a low number. Yeah. He has a single digit sperm count. And so oh, wow. it's no chance of conceiving naturally. Um, and she, she, our doctor jumped in to immediately start telling us our only option of conceiving a genetic child would be to pursue um, in vitro fertilization, IVF, with ICSI, which is yeah. <laughs> intracytoplasmic sperm injection. Yeah. So yeah, that was our only option if we actually wanted to pursue that. So that, that was something that you know, we had talked about IVF earlier in the process. Um, but of course we never thought that would actually happen. We didn't think we'd ever come up on that, but we had talked about it earlier and we kind of just both agreed that was not something that we wanted to pursue. Um, at the time it sort of just felt too, too expensive, too scary, too difficult. And of course we didn't actually think we would need it. So we were like, yeah, well, that's not for us. We don't feel like that's what God is putting in our plans. And, and we still felt that way when we heard the diagnosis as well. Um, but of course, you know, you come up upon it and you're like, Oh, well, if this is my only option, maybe I should reconsider. Um, <laughs> but we, we really had this other kind of seed of hope that had been planted a few months prior to that. So, um, earlier in the infertility journey, I actually found your podcast <laughs> And yeah, it was, it was like, I don't remember how many months in, but I was so desperate to hear other women's stories and to hear, especially from the biblical perspective and to hear other women who were walking this and kind of holding that joy yeah. and sorrow together. Um, and so I found your podcast and I remember listening. It was, I remember it really distinctly. It was our sixth wedding anniversary. So yeah, that's when it was. Okay. So it was June. I was listening to your podcast earlier in the spring of 2019. And then we listened to the embryo adoption episode. Um, I listened to it mm. by myself when it was our anniversary and I heard it and I was just like, what is this? I have <laughs> never heard of this. This is super weird, um, but it's really intriguing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was my introduction to it. I, I literally never heard of it. Listen to your podcast, listen to episode 17. And I was, um, I was really interested, but again, also not thinking that um, we were going to, you know, come to a point where we weren't going to be able to have our own, you know, genetic children. And so right. it was just kind of, that's a, good for everyone else. Exactly. But yeah, we're good. <laughs> exactly. So it was just a seed that God planted. And I remember walking downstairs and telling Brian about it. And he was like, um, no, that, that sounds weird. Uh, I'm not interested in that at all. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, that's, that's fine. We don't really need to talk about it right now, but you know, just something I thought I'd share with you. And so that seed was planted at that time, you know, and we, mm -hmm. we kind of like talked about it here and there on and off for the next couple months. And then we got that diagnosis in September and sitting in that room, 
while at the same time feeling like this just utter devastation and, you know, desperation, I also remember that flash of hope in my mind where I thought embryo adoption. Oh, wow. Like, yeah. And not in the sense of, oh, embryo adoption will fix this, but in the sense of like embryo adoption is a seed that God planted and I think it's a door that he's opening and he's making that more and more clear by shutting other doors. And so we honestly felt that the IVF door was not on the table for us. You know, we we really we really felt that that is not something that God put um, on our hearts. And I, I want to be clear when I say that because it's not that's not everyone's story. Right. And that's completely okay. Everyone, God has different plans for each couple. And he has um, a different story and purpose. And so when we came to the conclusion that IVF was not in our story, that's just us. You know, that's what God put on our hearts for our story. And so we wanted to be obedient to that. And so we kind of, we just, we didn't consider that as an option to move forward. Um, So from that point forward, we really just started to um, pray and we took a good month or so to really kind of heal from that news and to fast and seek counsel and, and really kind of grieve and, and move forward. And then a month after that, we were like, okay, we feel that God truly shut that door to open the embryo adoption door and we're going to move forward. And so we did, we applied, um, with the national embryo donation center in Tennessee in October, 2019. Yes. Yes, it is. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, it was so good that I got to learn about it from your podcast and from that episode because, like, that was the only agency that was in my mind. And you know, I we researched like one other agency, and just in our in our opinion, no one compares to the NEDC. I mean, we're biased, but you know, we just we felt that's where we wanted to to go. And so, yes, it's the same agency. Wow. Um. So yeah, and now we're kind of gearing up to start our medication for our first frozen embryo transfer in May. So you've already so adopted the embryos. Yes. We actually, wow. our agreement was just finished and finalized on March 31st. So that can take a, that can take a while, right? Like to be yeah. chosen. Yeah, it can. And it really, it really depends on, I think each, each timeline is, you know, a little bit different, but it really depends on what you're looking for too, because we, we had to review donor profiles. And so we spent time figuring out what we were looking for. And, you know, then when you actually go to narrow it down and you look to see what extended information you can find, sometimes they're not available because it's like a rotating pool of donors. So you might say like, Oh, I liked this one page sheet. I'd like more information on this donor family. And then The NEDC will get back to you and say, yep, they're not available right now. They're on hold for another cycle. So, you know, that process, it's a lot of back and forth. And, um, but yeah, then then they actually have to accept you back. So even if you do choose a donor family and you get the extended information and they're available, um, they then have the choice, you know, to to say yes or no. So it, it is a back and forth. And then you have to mediate the agreement. You know, if you're doing an open adoption, which we are doing, uh, we have to actually, you know, work with a social worker to mediate that agreement so we can see what our communication is going to look like moving forward. Wow. Whoa. So crazy. So yeah. Crazy. Just a lot. Well, so we t- there's two really big topics that I want to hit on, but I want to go back a little bit because you mentioned something. You said 
I think it was before you found out about your husband's testing, you made the comment that you weren't really seeking God at that time. Y'all were just like, okay, this is just our plan. We're moving forward one step at a time. How, like, when did that shift for you that you started to, I mean, I guess, I guess include him in the, in the conversation and in the decision-making? Yeah. So I think honestly, it really started to shift when we weren't getting pregnant, even on the ovulation medication. Okay. Because it was at that time that I sort of knew like, okay, I can't fix this. You know, I've tried everything that I can do in my power to fix it. Mm -hmm. Like literally, you know, I'm doing everything that I can do and it's still not happening. And so it was that point that I started to realize like, I, I can't depend on myself. Like I, I have no other choice. Um, and honestly, I think that's part of how God works sometimes is if we, we find ourselves so, um, dependent on ourselves and if we put our trust in ourselves and, and we think we have the control over the situation, I think sometimes God wants to remind us that, you know, no, like Jenna, I'm in control and I love you and I have a plan for you. That's way better than what you could write on your own. And I need you to trust me for that. And so all I could do at that point was, was trust him because Mm -hmm. I couldn't make it happen. Like I I still can't make anything happen. And so it was at that point that I started to shift and realize, you know what, God's working in this. And I think he's doing something beyond what I could ever imagine. And so I kind of need to just lean in and figure out what that is and, and let him work. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's so much, so many times our stories, we work and we try and we push and we, you know, just try to stretch and make things work on our own. And we come to the end of ourselves and we're like, okay, we can't do this. And that, you know, God's right there saying, yeah, I've been waiting on you to figure that out. I've got a plan. Step into it. Yeah. Okay. So the two big topics I want to hit on you, you've got embryo adoption, which is a whole conversation in and of itself. And then you've got male factor infertility. And that has been male factor infertility has been one of the highest requested topics on this podcast. And it's something that Jay and I personally have dealt with. Um, so I really want to touch on that about, I think it was last week I posted that I was going to be interviewing you and I ask everyone if they had specific questions for male factor. And so I'm going to, I want to go through those two and you have already, I, I sent those to you and you've already asked your husband. And so we are kind of hearing it directly from the husband from the man through the wife. And so you guys can hear this and apply it and talk to your husbands about it. I really want this to be kind of a door for you guys to start to communicate together better. So let's, let's talk about like when your husband heard this, you guys were sitting in that office. How did he process this when he, when he, when it was like, okay, 14 months, it was you. Now it's me. What in the world? Yeah. So that was one of the things that when I was talking to him about these questions, you know, he said, he, he mentioned that specifically because it was, that was really weird for him because like you said, we had for so long thought that it was me. And so he had been putting his energy and his efforts into being loving and supporting and and not trying to apply any kind of blame or frustration. And he was just trying to be patient as we sorted through it all. And then very quickly that shifted like in an instant to him suddenly feeling so much more responsibility for our situation. And Mm -hmm. so where he had been the one offering all of this encouragement and support and, you know, he would say things like, you know what, if it doesn't work out, I married you for you. You know, I didn't marry you for children. I didn't marry you for what our life may or may not look like. I married you for you and I made a commitment to you. 
And now suddenly he had to hear those words and accept them. And he said that it was, yeah, he said it was so much harder for some reason to be on the receiving end of that than the giving end. And so that was a really difficult transition for him to make. Um, Was it instant for you to transition to that? um, Honestly, yes, because I think maybe in the opposite way, then I sort of felt this weight had immediately been lifted from me. And then I took on this new weight of, okay, I need to care for him now. And I need to, because he, that just became my instant focus is how do I make sure he knows that I still love him. I am committed to him and I have all the respect in the world for him. And that, that became my immediate focus. So, I mean, for him, he had to process all of that in in his own way. And I had to figure out then how to support him while he processed it because that his processing is very different than my processing. So we, we sort of just shifted and, and had to work through that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's just a testament to you guys' relationship in your marriage because there was no delay in that. It was instant for him to, to comfort you and to say that he married you for you. And then instantly that was able that you were able to shift that back to him without any like, Oh, well, it's actually your fault. Like none of that. Y'all just, you just love and support, which is the biblical picture. of Exactly. So that's really great. I remember like being in that room. I remember thinking, um, as soon as we heard the diagnosis, um, I actually, vividly remember thinking that whenever the doctor left the room, whatever the first words out of my mouth were going to be, I needed to be really intentional about. Mm. And so whenever she left the room, I just simply said, I love you. It's going to be okay. And that's all I had to say because I I knew that I couldn't fix it. He knew that I couldn't fix it. He didn't want me to. You know, it wasn't like I needed to figure out a solution to the quote problem, you know, or or make it go away or he just needed to know that I loved him and yeah. that was it. And yeah. so that's yeah, that's that's how that went. <laughs> wow. So the the questions that uh, we'll just start with one of them that the our listeners sent in was how can you as his wife best support him during testing and the unknowns of the journey? Yeah, so I asked Brian for his perspective, like how can I best support you and how have I, what's been helpful for you? And his biggest thing was the respect. Like he just, he said for for him, he needed to know that I was committed and that I was in this and I loved him and that our marriage was secure and that there was no animosity or, you know, regret on my part for marrying him or something like that. So he just, that's how I was able to support him. It's just by respecting him and loving him the way that, um, you know, he should be loved <laughs> regardless of conditions or genetic issues or whether we can or cannot have children. Like he just wanted to be loved and respected. Um, and so another thing that he actually said too, was I had been sharing with him, um, other infertility stories, you know, through this podcast and through, um, you know, people that I follow on Instagram or, or whatever. And especially in terms of the male factor infertility, it was really helpful for him when I would just sort of, um, gently without being overbearing, show him other stories and other men that are walking through this and other couples that have walked through this because it helped him to realize like he's not alone. There are other people out there. There are other people sharing their stories 
And <laughs> he actually said, he's like, yeah, and these people can be normal, attractive dudes. Like it's not, <laughs> it's not a that just is a picture so, into you know, a man because, because I have male factor infertility. It's going to affect my outward appearance right. of who I am as a man. No. Right. <laughs> I would yeah. love for him to so, tell us what, that- what did he think people with male factor infertility looked like before all of this. I know. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't know what his thought was, but he's like, yeah, it, it's normal. Like it can be okay. Like, <laughs> Like, yeah, yeah, it's good. You know, so he feels a lot less broken and a lot less alone by seeing some of that. So that's something that has helped him that I've done um, throughout this journey. That's good. Yeah, I feel that I feel like Jay would probably say the same thing. Just never, never casting that blame. And I honestly never felt it. And I know there's couples that deal with that uh, both ways where the husband kind of resents the wife and the wife may resent the husband for if he, if he's the one with the issues, but I mean, if that is you, please go find a counselor and work through that because that's, yeah. that doesn't have to be your life. Um, but yeah. I definitely, ne- I, I don't ever remember feeling that when I, whenever, whenever we got that news that, cause like, like you, we thought it was me. We didn't go quite mm. that long because they, that was kind of step one after we did some blood work. They were like, we got to test him first. Um, yeah. yeah. And we found out pretty quickly, but yeah, it's, uh, it definitely does not help. So really fight those. That's the enemy trying to take over and destroy your marriage and just really fight that yes. those feelings of animosity or bitterness. And the next question they asked was what resources or support has he found to, su- to kind of help him along, I guess, other than you. Right. <laughs> right. Well, and, and that's interesting in and of itself because, um, I'm a support in my own way, but I am, am not going to be all that he needs because he needed to be able to talk to other male friends. And in particular, he needed to be able to talk to other males who have gone through this. And so he really has relied on um, some friends that we have who have also happened to walk through infertility. And that's the thing, you know, you may think that you don't know other people or, or you don't know other men who have walked through this, but there, it's so prevalent and so much more prevalent than we even realize. Um, so when we all start to kind of open up and share our stories, it allows for this community to build. And so in, in talking with other friends that we have who have gone through uh, infertility, and in one case, we have a, a set of friends who have gone through the exact situation, like it's male factor infertility, and it's likely the exact same genetic condition that Brian has. That's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy Like that we know another couple with this. And honestly, I, I say it's crazy, but clearly it's very God-ordained. Yes. Um, so that, yeah, exactly. So Brian would have someone to kind of talk through and process that with, and that was really helpful for him. So that's been a big resource for him is other friends, particularly male friends who have walked through infertility um, to be able to sort of process that. Because knowing that he could share with them without judgment and he could talk and share his story like out loud helped him to sort of work through it and begin to accept it. And so he said that that was actually very helpful for him. Yeah. I would say, um, cause I'm just going to answer the questions for Jay as well, because I, I know what, <laughs> I feel like I know what he would say. Um, when we were going through it, however, seven, eight, nine years ago, um, with, with his specific issue, we didn't know anyone that had that. In fact, our life group had, I mean, there were, there was a couple that maybe kind of was dealing with, they, they had more, really more issues after they had their son, but literally mm-hmm. the leaders of our life group had two sets of twins 
two sets of twins naturally, like, like crazy. Um, and so there wasn't really a lot of infertility issues, but the heart, the heart of our life group was so precious and so sweet. And we were able to open up to them and Jay was able to talk things through with the guys and just text them. And they were the kindest, most just generous, just genuine people with, with our situation. There was never any dumb comments let's just call them what they are they 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 acknowledged that they didn't know what it was like and they just tried to love him through it and didn't make comments of recommendations or anything like that and so I would just say even if you don't have somebody that has you know guys even if your men do not have other men who have that that beautiful match of the specific situation right they're they they still need godly men in their lives who love them and will support them through it and be willing to to respond to those those moments when your husband needs to, Hey, I'm having a hard time. This I'm really struggling. And, and I'll be honest with you. My, my husband is not, I would say not a normal man. He is, I feel like a superhero sometimes, and he just doesn't allow things to pull him down that often. And sometimes he would just preach to himself and he just didn't, I don't know. He just, he he was pulling me out of dark places, even when the, even in the midst of what he should have been in a dark place himself, because he's just amazing. So but just really have having support, godly support in your life that, and if yes. it's not a, if it's not a guy together, then find a couple that when, you know, sometimes that couple dynamic is stronger together than individually. And so have that couple dynamic that you guys can be there with another couple and they can share and pour into you. Yeah. Um, oh, absolutely. So the last question was, and we may have already answered this, but say your husband, no, we haven't answered this say, say your husband had really struggles to, to do that, to reach out to other people because he's embarrassed or he's ashamed. That's very typical, especially with mm-hmm. guys in this journey. So did you guys experience that? Was he ever kind of hesitant to tell people or to reach out? Um, you know, at first, yes, because he had to process his own sort of feelings of, I guess, guilt and, and shame. So he had to sort of process that on his own first and, and kind of come to terms with that. Um, but then because he had seen so many other people share and be brave and we did have other friends who we knew their infertility stories, um, it wasn't as difficult for him as it may be for some other people, um, especially if, if it's other people that don't have, they don't know any other personal infertility stories in their circle of friends or family. Um, so for him, because he had that, it wasn't as difficult once he was able to kind of process it on his own. And then he he wanted to put it out there and start sharing um, because he saw what a blessing it was that other people had shared in his life. And so for him, he he got to that point. Yeah. And if he's not, and if your husband isn't at that point yet, I would just ask him because it, he kind of is impeding your, you, your, you, as a couple, your ability to heal and to move forward yes. if yeah. he's not willing to talk about it. And so I think, and I'm not saying talk about it as in like, all of my, my personal details of my male factor, just your infertility journey as a whole. Um, right. So I would encourage him to just say, Hey, okay, you don't want to talk about it with life group. You don't want to talk about it with your men's group, whatever. Okay. Find one person, go tell one person that you trust and start there and just kind of encourage him along the way. Like, okay, I'm going to tell this one person and I would like you to find one person and then maybe find a couple and just kind of start small and let it ripple out. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not advocating that he goes on Facebook and blasts it to the world, but 
yeah the the goal is to share it so that you can have support and prayer and com- and community around you when you need it and so just really encourage him to take that one small step and just grow from there. Yeah. And that's one thing he said he appreciated that I didn't, um, I wasn't overbearing about it. Like I, when I asked him about this, he said that he appreciated that I sort of gave some of those recommendations and said, you know, Hey, why don't you grab lunch with so-and-so, or why don't you reach out to this person? But it was never like a repetitive, you know, every day, like, Hey, did you Nag. talk to so-and-so? Yeah. You call them? Exactly. Yes. That's a good and point. That, yeah. So that was helpful for him. Yeah. Nagging will never work with our husbands right. <laughs> ever. <laughs> okay. So male factor, huge topic. Hopefully we answered some questions there. Now we're going to jump over to the embryo adoption, which is still such a crazy, amazing new thing. Just like you, I mean, a year ago, you had never heard of it. Um, I would say maybe two years before that, I had never heard of it until I met Mandy at our church. And so and I, I mean, really, she's the only one since then that I've come in contact. I've had one girl reach out that she's actually on the other side of that. Um, at the time, she was um, in the process, just like what you are. And so yeah. it's still very new. And so a lot of people don't understand it. But I do believe that it's going to become more and more of a common situation. And I would love to, I mean, you talked about you guys kind of started decided to pursue that because the seed that was planted from the conversation with Mandy mm-hmm. Um, and you, you said your husband was not on board in the beginning and you, what shifted, nope. you might've mentioned it. What, what changed in his opinion? Yeah, that's a great question. We talked about that, you know, because when, when we started, it's like I said, he was like, uh, nope, that's weird. Not doing that. And <laughs> over time he said, when I asked him about it, he said, you know, I can't really explain why my heart shifted other than to say that it was God because yeah. We, it, it, it was nothing else other than God just working on him and sort of like, you know, tilling the land and to making a change in his heart. And honestly, that's part of what's so cool because we've learned over the last several years to pray that we would become in alignment with God's will. And if that, if we're not, that he would change the desires of our heart. And so one of the coolest things when you pray that prayer is that God will do it. He will change the desire of your heart to put you in alignment with what he has for you and what he has for you is so good. And so if you just let him work on your heart and and put you into his blessing, there's so much goodness there. And so that's that's all that we can explain it as. Like we were praying that whatever door God wanted us to walk through, whatever story he had for us, that he would put us in alignment with that and that he would change the desires of our heart. And he mm-hmm. did that like for Brian, like he just, he shifted that completely. Well, I love that you mentioned that scripture because that scripture is used so often to talk about, well, God's going to give me a baby because the desire of my heart is to have a baby. And so I'm going to get right. pregnant. I just, you know, I'm believing he, and, and and that may happen for you, but I think what you're saying is, your de- God's going to give you the desires of your heart and he may also change your desires to match the desires yeah. that he has for you. And so that's Absolutely. what's happening with you. And it can happen 10 other different ways. You know, he will change your desires to match what his plan is for your life because he ultimately knows what is best for you, what is best for your future, what is best for your holiness, all of those things. And so, yeah, that's a really yes. good, really good point. Yeah. So talking about embryo adoption, what... I feel like there are so many things instantly pop in my head if, if, if that was like, okay, we're doing this now. So what are some of those 
fears that you kind of had to overcome thinking about that process? Yeah. So um, I guess on a lighter note, some of the the fears that are, you know, not silly, but they're, (laughs) they're a little bit easier to overcome would be something like, you know, the medications, um, and giving myself shots. (laughs) So that's Uh going to be a brand new experience for me. Um, but I know there are so many brave and strong women who have done this. (laughs) And I know that through Christ, I can do all things. Um, and so that's one thing I'm just going to have to get over. You know, it's, it's not that I'm like, totally like afraid of needles or anything like that, but it's sort of just a weird thing that you never you really thought it. you'd have to yeah. do is just, yeah, just poke yourself with a needle. Um, so that's, you know, kind of one thing. And then like another silly fear, but I'm going to talk about it because it's a real fear that I had was, um, the full bladder thing for transfers. I did not realize that it was a thing that you had to have that full bladder to be able to do your embryo transfer. And I just, I am so uncomfortable doing that and I hate it with every fiber of my being. But I, did not I know, know this. <laughs> yeah, you don't you know the full bladder thing? No. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. So I guess I think this is a thing for IUIs as well. I did Maybe IUIs, but I'm trying to remember. Did I block this out? Yeah. So you just have to have a full bladder? Yes. Like you have to walk in with a full bladder and you are not allowed to go to the bathroom. Like you can maybe let out a little bit at a time, but like you have to have the full bladder so that they can go in and they can see it better um, when they're looking because the bladder is like right against the uterus. And so when it's full, it like, it shows better on the screen. And so they know what they're doing more. I do not remember that. Maybe that's why my IUIs failed because they didn't do that (laughs) because I do not remember that. Well, uh, you know what? It's I, maybe they don't do it with all IUIs, but I do know that they do it with IVF and with you know any embryo transfer. Yes. And so it's like it's such a stupid thing, but like it's it's awful. Yeah, I feel so. like you can do that. I feel like Jenna, you can you can rally and just handle that one. I know, I know. Like it's it's a very small price to pay. I'll get over it. But no, so those are like the smaller fears, I guess, but the real fears, like the, the, you know, more deep issues, I guess primarily is that, you know, it won't work or that it will work and then we'll experience a loss. And that's a very real possibility. It's a very, you know, it's a real outcome that happens to people. And I know the statistics, but I try not to focus on that um, because thinking that way does not benefit me. And I know that the spirit has sustained us this far in the journey. And so we have to trust that whatever God's will is in our life will be done and that whatever it is, he will use it and he will continue to sustain us through it. And I mean, we've seen too much of his goodness to think that he's not in this with us. And so we know that whatever does happen, he's going to continue to be with us. Um, So that is a real fear, you know, that we'll come up against this and still won't be able to expand our family at the end of it all, um, or, you know, experience that really tragic, painful loss. Um, but I, I'm not focusing on that and I'm just taking one step at a time. So, um, that's, that's definitely one thing Mm -hmm. to, to think through. Um, and then I guess another fear is sort of just like the, the medical unknowns of it all. And that's similar to, you know, maybe it won't work or maybe we'll experience a loss, but there's just a lot of unknown, you know, and a lot of uncertainty in the process. Um, but all I can do is take it one step at a time. And as much of a planner as I am, I have come to learn that I cannot plan this all out. 
and I can't predict the future. And so I am, I can't worry about it because it doesn't change a single thing. And so I just have to take it one step at a time and trust that God will provide and will protect. And that's sort of what we're doing. So we're just leaning into that. Do they talk you through your, like whenever you're going through the process, like, cause y'all are doing open. So do they talk you through like the, the, I don't know, the psychological part of like having a child that comes from you, but also has siblings from another family. Do they, do they tell you like kind of how that will come out later in, in the child's life? Yeah. So they do some preparation for that. Um, prior to the, um, so, so we did a home study, you know, because it is like, they do treat it like a traditional adoption because you are working with a child that's not genetically yours. And, you know, you are going to be working with a donor family, especially if you choose to do an open adoption where you'll have communication with that family to some extent. And so they, they do the home, you know, you do a home study with an adoption agency and then there's a social worker who works with the NEDC and, um, they will actually review your home study. And during that process, they provide uh, some like webinar training where they kind of walk you through some of those scenarios and they, they talk about it and they give you an opportunity to respond and to think through some of those questions and, and psychological, um, you know, I guess not issues, but, you know, the psychological um, implications of this process and what all it involves. Mm-hmm. And so you do have an opportunity to reflect on that. But I think a lot of it is you, you're just not going to know how to handle all that until you right. walk into those scenarios. And so they do their best to prepare you and they provide a lot of resources as well. So there's there's several children's books available to share with your children, like how they came to be and to talk about it. Um and so they provide some of those resources and recommend some of those things. Um, but really it's, you just have to know that this is going to be a journey and you're going to, you're going to need to work through it with the Lord and, and he will, he will sustain that. Um, but yeah, not able to have all of that figured out right now, but. Did they tell you something. going through any of that, like how old the oldest adopted embryo, like successful tri- child is right now? Cause it yes, can't be that old. Um, well, what do you what do you mean like how old the first embryo transfer child is or how no, old like, an embryo like a, like a baby that yeah the yeah the first one ever that baby that was born like how old is that child now? I want to say that those children are in their teens, I think. Okay, so it's still, I know they're still, you know, children. They're not they're not adults yet. Yeah, I think that's the case. I'd have to look at their website to just double check. But for the NEDC, I think their first successful transfer, I think those kids, I think it was twins, and I think they're in their teens. Wow. Can you imagine being the first family to do something like this? <laughs> like, the, hey, we have a new idea. Do you want to do it? <laughs> that's a go- yeah. That'd be so crazy. I, yeah, I really can't. <laughs> so, okay. So how are your friends and your family responding? Or how did they respond, in, especially in the beginning when you were like, we have an idea? Here it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Honestly, everyone has been super supportive and we are so blessed by that because I know that that's not everyone's story, especially uh-huh. when it comes to things like adoption and then certainly something like embryo adoption, which is, you know, kind of out there. Um, but for us, like our all of our family and friends have been on board and more than anything, people were just like intrigued by embryo adoption. 
um, you know, every single person that we've shared with, and honestly, it's been a lot, like we've shared with a lot of people, they've all been interested to learn more and they've been excited to share our story with others that they know, which has just been really great. Like I cannot imagine, you know, having to do this without, um, the support of my family and friends. And so I'm just so thankful that God has put such, such great people in our lives surrounding us and supporting us and praying for us. It's been really amazing. Yeah, that's, that's really, really amazing. Well, speaking of family and friends, I just had, I thought another thought that came in my head. So one of the things that family and friends are known for as soon as you have your baby is like, oh my gosh, who does he look like? Uh-huh. <laughs> so what I'm sure they've talked to you guys about, like, what is it? What, how will you respond to that? You know, I, I really don't know at this, at this time. Um, we've definitely talked about it. And honestly, that's something that we had to grieve too when we thought about, mm-hmm. you know, that dream of having genetic children. You think about those things like, oh, like she has my eyes or right. you know, she has your hair or whatever. And so we, we did have to grieve that a bit because we won't have, you know, a mini me or whatever. <laughs> we, right. We'll have the children that God is giving to us and they will be our children. We are so excited, but the reality is they won't share our genetics. And so we, we did have to grieve that a little bit. Um, but I don't, I don't know that it's going to be a huge thing. Uh, I think, I think our friends and family, you know, all, all of them, they'll all know. They'll know. So yeah. I don't, I don't think we'll run into those issues with friends and family. Um, and even if they do, I think they'll say like, wow, you know, like they still even look like you. They have, they have your eyes. Isn't that amazing what God did? Like they, even though they don't share your genetics, they share your, you know, yeah, whatever. Yeah, you see that and so I, many I honestly, times with adopted kids. Like they yeah. end up looking like their parents, their adopted parents. Exactly. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think we'll run into that with them. I think on the outside, um, if we, if we run into that with some others, <laughs> one of our favorite things is to just be really transparent about it and not, not to make other people feel uncomfortable, but to sort of raise awareness in, in when people ask questions or make comments just because they're trying to, you know, make small talk. Like we like to raise awareness and just say, Hey, maybe, maybe just think about that for a second. And and I don't know if you've experienced this with other people, but infertility is a thing. And so maybe those comments you're making aren't totally helpful. Mm-hmm. So like, for example, actually, my husband, Brian was just on a phone call with um, a coworker just the other day. And she, you know, with all this remote work that's happening right now, she was like, Oh, you know, you guys don't have any kids, do you? Like, it's really hard to work at home with kids. <laughs> And Brian was like, no, you know, we don't have any. And then she made a, a joke about, you know, the quarantine and, and the quarantine babies and like, oh, like all this quarantine time, you'll have time. Yeah. And so Brian, was, you know, he was kind and gracious, but he was like, you know, actually, that's a funny story. We're, we're actually in the middle of embryo adoption right now. We we can't have genetic children. Um, and we, we actually are pursuing embryo adoption to expand our family. And he just kind of went into it and was super gracious about it. But like, you know, we, we'll do that sometimes. And so I think if we come up on those situations after we do have our children, honestly, I, I see us responding very honestly with our situation right. and taking it as an opportunity to educate and um, use it like that. Yeah. Which is a great, which is great. Yeah. That's what we got that question a lot after our daughter was, you know, the typical question. Okay. So when are we going to get another one? And yeah. so our, our, our canned response was, well, having kids doesn't come easy for us. And so whenever God's ready, we'll be ready. And that they were always just like, Oh, no, like no other comments were made. <laughs> we're like, right. yep, okay, moving on. <laughs> 
Okay, so if someone right now is listening and is like, maybe they're like you and think, oh, that's crazy, but I'll keep that tucked in the back of my mind. Or maybe they're really thinking about it and they're talking about it. What advice would you give them? So um, I think I have two main pieces of advice. And so the first would be, it's okay to not have it all figured out. So if someone is thinking about embryo adoption, if you're considering it, honestly, just take it one step at a time because there is a lot involved in the process. Um, And when you're at the beginning, it seems like everything is so far away. It's confusing. It's hard. But honestly, you just have to focus on the next thing and you'll get there. So if you truly feel like this is something that God is putting in your heart and it's something that he's speaking to you about and you might feel like it is a path that he is putting in your life, um, he will guide you through it. And I know I've said that multiple times, but um, there was a quote from one of my, um, at my church, it was a message that our pastor shared a while ago. And he said, what God initiates, he sustains. And what we initiate, we have to sustain. And so if you know that this is something in your life that God is initiating, he's going to sustain it. And so it's okay to not have it all figured out, especially like as you're starting out, you just have to take it one step at a time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can't speak for other agencies, but the the NEDC, the National Embryo Donation Center in Tennessee, they have their process down pretty well. Um, they, they're they they're pretty good at this at this point. And so they're really supportive. They walk you through each part. And it's all done remotely except for your initial visit there and your actual embryo transfer. And so because it's done remotely, they have to be proactive and prepared. So they're really helpful and they know how to walk you through it. Um So yeah, that's my first piece of advice. It's okay to not have it all figured out. Mm -hmm. And then my second piece of advice would be, if you are comfortable, start sharing about it because Mm -hmm. it is a weird thing. Um, It's also very, very redemptive and very beautiful. And if you start to share that story, um, it helps you to heal and it also helps God to work. You know, I mean, God doesn't need our help, but he wants to use us. We are vessels that he wants to use and work in and through us. And so if you take that as as an opportunity to let God's glory be put on full display in your life, Mm -hmm. it's going to be so good. Um, It would have been a lot different for me if I felt like I had to keep this a secret or if I wanted to try to have as few people know about it as possible. Uh, That would be a lot more difficult, but we don't feel that way at all. And so you kind of have to decide your comfort level, um, but know that talking about it and sharing about infertility, about embryo adoption, about what you're doing and why you're doing it, it's freeing. And the other thing I'll say about that is that it honestly, in my opinion, takes the power away from the enemy because in that darkness, when you feel like you have to hide something or you're trying to keep something a secret, that's where the enemy allows hopelessness and shame and inadequacy and those kinds of things to fester. But when you bring that into the light, you take away his power and you allow God to work in your story and put himself on full display. And it's beautiful. Yeah, that's that's good. That's worth the whole episode right there. That's truth. And I love, I love, I love, I love that you were able to come on and talk about this side of it compared to like Mandy's side of it last year because, or was it two years ago? Because I just feel like, like I said, this isn't a big topic. Like it's not a common thing right now, but it's going to become more and more common. And the numbers are staggering about how many of these embryos are just frozen right now. And you and your husband are giving 
these embryos a chance at life and you're stewarding them and you are going to bring life out of nothing or what, what would have been nothing. And I think that's God honoring, um, because it is a life. And so, you know, you could have done IVF and it might've worked, but like you're, you're doing something really, really beautiful. That actually was a really good point. Um, I, I wanted to touch on that and there were several reasons. I mean, I shared part of why we chose not to pursue IVF and, you know, we just sort of felt God laid that on our hearts. Um, but what you just said is exactly what made us realize that embryo adoption, like when we first heard about it being this like strange, super sci-fi sounding thing, like what you just said is what transitioned it from feeling like that to feeling like this beautiful picture of redemption, because we recognize like God has such a, a heart for, um, redemption. And that, that is who he is. You know, that's Jesus in our lives redeeming us. And so embryo adoption is this redemption of these lives that were frozen at a vulnerable stage. And through this process, God is redeeming the life potential of those embryos. And he is giving them a chance to be all he created them to be. And on the other side of it, he's redeeming our infertility. You know, whatever the outcome of our story is, he is redeeming our infertility because he's using it and he's bringing good out of it. And that good may or may not be a baby. You know, I still don't know at this point, but there is good coming out of it regardless. And so he's redeeming it on both sides. And I just, that's what we love so much about embryo adoption. Wow. The fact that you can sit here and say there's good coming out of it and it hasn't happened yet. We don't know if it will, but no matter what, there's good coming out of it. That's so good. That's the place that I pray that we can all get to in the middle of whatever struggles we're going through, even in the midst of what we're going through in our country right now. I don't know what the world's going to look like in a month or two months. I don't know what new normal will look like, but God can still use all of this and he can still do something in us and it, and it can be good um, amongst all the really hard stuff. So you admitted, and then we'll we'll close out with this because we have been talking a long time. But <laughs> you admitted that you really believe God has used infertility to humble you and your husband, and that you wouldn't be where you are today without the struggle and the hardships of infertility. So just share with everybody that's listening what what are some of the big things that God has taught you through all of this. Yeah. So the first thing that he's taught me is that he is good. And, you know, it's kind of just what we were talking about. And it sounds simple, um, but he's taught me about his goodness in such new ways through this journey. Um, and, I, you know, I think with like pain and suffering and trials, we get to a point where we either think that God's not in control or he's not good. Like if all of this suffering is happening, if this pain is happening, if we're walking through these really dark valleys, you know, we, we, we think that he can't possibly be in control or he can't possibly be good, but we know that he only gives good and perfect gifts. And because of that, he knows what gifts are good. So he knows what to give us. And we don't, you know, it typically seems black and white to us where we're like, okay, infertility is bad. Cancer is bad. Loneliness is bad. But God's ways are bigger than that. And he uses the darkest moments in our lives to bring good because he is the God of the impossible. And so I've come to realize that in this, you know, in my life and in everyone else's lives around me, if he's allowing it, it's for our good and for his glory, period. Yep. And so 
there's, yeah. And there's, there's so much that we're often focused on, you know, what we're losing or what we don't have or what we have less of. But the reality is that especially in these moments of trials, we have an unmatched opportunity for more. We have an opportunity to, to be more humble, more compassionate, more eternal, and ultimately more like Jesus. And that is God's ultimate good for us because he wants more for us than to just take away the pain that we have in this life on earth. He wants to give us everything in himself for all of eternity. And that looks a lot different as we walk through things here on this earth um, than what we think is good and bad. You know, he just has such greater plans. And so he's good. That is one thing I've learned. (laughs) And then I think, you know, the second thing I've learned is that I can trust him um, because he is good. And it's like I said earlier, you know, it wasn't until I had no other option that I started learning how to really trust him. And so, um, you know, he, he brought the greatest good out of the darkest moment in history when we think about the crucifixion of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so in darkness, he brings light and in out of evil, he brings good out of death. He brings life. And so we can trust him to do that. And whatever work he started, he is going to finish. And whatever promises that we don't see that are realized in full here on this temporary earth, they will be realized in full in eternity. And so that's what I hold on to, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, the other thing I'll say is that I've learned that he has a specific story for each of us. So we are not forgotten. Whoever is listening to this, you are not forgotten and your story matters. And God loves us each personally and intimately. Like I've seen such cool miracles in my story that it was God speaking directly to me. He was not speaking to anyone else. He was speaking to Jenna Bieber in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And it was so personal and so intimate. And I've seen him um, and, and his presence in my life in this journey so often in, in, in such refreshing ways. And it really has made me understand that he doesn't write these generic stories for people. He has specific personal plans for every single one of us. And with our infertility stories, you know, they don't all have the same endings. They don't have the same outcomes. They don't look the same each step of the way, but every single story matters. And he is carefully and beautifully writing each one. And it's for your good and for his glory. I think you should probably hit the back button a few times to re-listen to those last 60 to 90 seconds from Jenna. That was so powerful. And I'm going to encourage you this week, during this week of awareness, where all of us are pushing for the conversation of fertility to change, I want to encourage you to change your own conversation about infertility. Now, I'm not saying don't acknowledge that it's hard and painful at times, most times, but I want us to frame up our pain with what Jenna said at the end. God is carefully and beautifully writing each one of our stories, and it's for your good and his glory. And as we share our stories in that framework, not only do we get to encourage the world to be more aware of the one in eight of us who are facing these challenges, but we also get to point the world to a beautiful Jesus who loves us, as Jenna said, personally and intimately. Let's open ourselves up for him to bring out good in the middle of our darkest moments. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Joint Infertility Podcast. 
Isaiah 40, 31 says this, Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Remember, God is with you. He sees your heart. He loves you and he is good. There will be beauty born from your journey. Have a great day.